name is Emily and I serve with our fifth and sixth grade students. Shout out to all my tribe friends that are here this morning. As a reminder, midweek groups for kids and students kindergarten through 12th grade are beginning and we would love to see you there. If you're someone who has a heart for serving the vulnerable and empowering others, especially youth, we have a wonderful opportunity for you one time a week with Puente de Pueblo. Our after-school programs with Puente run Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m., and they help students succeed in school, learn important life skills, and have a lot of fun. Check out wheatonbible.org slash puentevolunteer or stop by their table in the atrium today. Alpha is starting Thursday, September 29th and runs 10 weeks from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. This is a space where we enjoy a meal together and discuss life's most important questions, such as where is God and why am I experiencing this difficulty? Whether you're someone who's seeking answers or someone who wants to be equipped so that you can reach out to others who have these questions, this class is for you. Information and registration is available online at wheatonbible.org alpha. Finally, scripture exhorts us to ensure that godly elders are appointed to oversee and shepherd the body of Christ. Members of Wheaton Bible Church, you have until September 25th to submit a nominee for elder online or through a hard copy form. Check out wheatonbible.org slash elder nomination or stop by the welcome desk for information. Thank you for prayerfully taking part in this vital process. That's all for today. Thank you for spending a part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an incredible week. Good morning and welcome. Psalm 92 gives us some instructions for today. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Let's stand and do just that this morning.
Amen. Let's join in a responsive reading. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. In keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells.
join in a responsive reading. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. A new command Jesus gives you, love one another. As Jesus has loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are his disciples, if you love one another. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. We see God is doing a new thing in us and through us. Praise the Lord. You may be seated.
Well, good morning, church family. Great to see you all this morning and to be worshiping together. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle Reschke and I'm one of our pastors here. Um, Pastor Hannibal will be up uh, for our sermon in just a minute, but I have uh, a really fun uh, missions moment and missions welcome I want us as a church family uh, to extend. So I want you to know that this week our church had the privilege of hosting uh, new candidate training. So these are uh, the newest missionaries of one of our long-term, historic, and incredible uh, missions partners. So this new group of missionaries is being sent by Greater Europe Mission, more commonly known to us as GEM, okay, Greater Europe Mission, G-E-M. And they are uh, going to be commissioned this afternoon, and they are here at Wheaton Bible throughout the last week because, as one leader of GEM stated, uh, Wheaton Bible Church means so, so much to us as a mission. And so uh, what I would love this morning is for our six uh, new missionaries and candidates who are here to stand, if you could all stand, and uh, our, our whole GEM cohort with them. We have some leadership of Greater Europe Mission here as well. And if we could just offer them our warm welcome, please. So they're getting ready for the field, and, and so our prayer for all of you, and I will pray, we will pray over you all in just a minute, but um, that you are launched well um, by your sending churches, by Greater Europe Mission, but to know that the global church, churches like Wheaton Bible, are with you, are excited for what God is going to do in you and through you on this really, really key mission field on the European continent. So thank you all for serving, taking this great step of faith. Uh, you encourage us uh, to do the same. So thank you all, and you can be seated. We'll pray for you in just a minute. And so with our candidates here, I, I wanted us to zoom in on the European continent, okay? This is a key, key mission field. Now, we have many partners on the continent, uh, GEM being foremost among them. Our history with GEM goes back to their founding, which is back to the days and years following World War II. So 70 plus year missions history, and we pray for 70 years and more with this great missions agency, amen? Um, and so uh, if, if our tech team could bring up, I wanted you to see that Europe today, the European continent, is home to 27 missionary units from our church family, from Wheaton Bible Church, okay? They are supported by us in extending the gospel in incredible ways in the 15 countries you see highlighted here. Why do I want us to see this this morning? Well, if you've followed the news in recent years and, and even in just the last uh, months, you see how key this continent is uh, as a mission field, right? The, the massive movements of people coming from countries that have historically been closed to the gospel are coming through the European continent and into key cities where missionaries are waiting to offer welcome and care and to mobilize the church and have them, uh, the local church, as hubs of care and support. You'll see on this map the center of what is an ongoing and brutal war. I know we've highlighted our, our missionaries in Ukraine and all the surrounding uh, nations in recent years. This is such a key, key continent. 
And so I also want you to know this morning, uh, any students here, if you are ready to be mobilized, okay, one of our missionaries is the new director of mobilization for Greater Europe Mission. Her name is Becca, worships with us. Uh, here every Sunday when she's not uh, with another church, you know, mobilizing college students. We want to get you to the mission field with Greater Europe Mission and so many others, and so I don't want you to miss knowing and this great mission connection, okay? All my students, can I hear an amen? All right. Most of our student ministries is in next service, but that's good. So church family, these are missionaries we support with our faithful and generous giving each month. Uh, They rely on the faithful and joyful generosity of you, our church family, month after month, year after year. And so before we go to prayer this morning, I just want to quickly remind you that you can give online at wheatonbible.org uh, slash give. You can leave your offering in the boxes as you exit uh, worship this morning, or you can also uh, mail your gift to the church. Now, I want to invite us to pray this morning as we have so much to pray about, certainly for our missionaries and all that's going on in our world. So let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning knowing, proclaiming that you are the God of all nations, Father. You are the God who is is raising up, is sending, equipping by the, the power of your presence and sending in the power of your spirit missionaries to the far corners of the world. And so we pray specifically this morning, Lord, for our, uh, the new gem uh, appointees, Father, for these six faithful missionaries that as they uh, prepare to get to the field, as they're commissioned today, that, that Wheaton Bible Church, that so many others would be behind them, that they would feel and experience the love of your people, Father. I pray for perseverance, for strength for our missionaries. I pray for creative ways that come from you in reaching the nations of Europe, Lord, ultimately for your glory. And so, Lord, we also pray for new generations, like our our young adult missionaries here today, new generations of missionaries to be raised and to to be sent out. And so, Lord, we have seen how you empower how you raise up people, that revivals only come from you, Lord, in the movement of your spirit. And so we pray that specifically this morning for the European continent. And Lord, I ask that you don't ever leave us content to to simply support and send missionaries. We know that's part of our call, but I pray this morning that you would keep before us the call for every believer, everyone who is in Christ to live, serve, give as one sent by you, Lord. We pray that you would open the doors to seek the flourishing of our neighbors, Father that you would open conversations and opportunities to care for coworkers, neighbors, classmates. Lord, would you work in us here at Wheaton Bible Church and among us, and Lord, would you work through us to boldly declare the coming of your kingdom, Lord, for your glory. Would you give us strength? 
Would you give us boldness to sacrificially serve and seek the well-being of others again, Lord, for your glory in our lives, our communities, nation, and among all nations, Lord. It's in your most holy name that we pray these things this morning. Amen. And if I could have you all stand as we uh, read our passage for the day. We do this out of reverence for, for God's word today. I am in uh, Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 21. If you have your Matthew journals with you, we uh, will be reading on page 58. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from that place, he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew from that place. A large crowd followed him, and he healed all who were ill. He warned them not to tell others about him. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. All right. Good morning, familia. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Hannibal, and we just sang this beautiful piece of scripture that says that the Lord is making all things new. You know what that means? That means that the reason why we are here today is because the Lord is making all things new. That means that the reason why we need to be exposed to the word of God is because the Lord is making all things new. The reason why we're celebrating missionaries is because the Lord is going to use them as he's making all things new. The reason why we exist, the reason why the Lord saved you and brought you to him and allowed you to see and understand the gospel is because the Lord is making all things new. That means that you and I exist and we live because the Lord has purposes for this creation and you are part of that. 
and you get to contribute to that. Amen? Amen. No, that was depressing. Amen? Amen? Yeah, how about if we give glory to the Lord? So today we continue with our series based on the Gospel of Matthew, and as we read the first part of the Gospel of uh, Matthew chapter 12, uh, today we're going to talk about a, a concept, an interesting concept, an interesting topic, and oftentimes misunderstood topic, which is the law of God, and what our attitude should be toward the law of God, or God's laws. Um, so let me start with this. Everyone here right now, everyone that is part of the traditional service or those of you that are worshiping with us online, everyone here has been influenced by either one of these two worldviews, all right? So I'm going to say something, and please don't get offended, but as I always say, don't get offended. Most likely it's because I want you to get offended a little bit, all right? Everyone has been influenced by one of these two worldviews. Some people have... Uh, been influenced by the traditional worldview, and some people have been influenced by the modern worldview, or someone like me has been influenced by both of them, right? Uh, this has to do a lot with your background and your history and the context in which uh, you were raised. Um, as I said, as I've said before, no one comes to the Bible neutral. We all come to the Bible through a set of lenses. That's why I wear my glasses today. Just an illustration here. Uh, that this, everyone comes to the Bible through a set of lenses. And those lenses could be either from the traditional view or the modern view. So this is the part where I don't want you to get offended. But, because this is a traditional service. All right? If you are part or have been part of a traditional view, not traditional service, but traditional view, cultural view, the tendency of many people from that group is to uh, consciously or unconsciously embrace the law of God, God's law, but the tendency is to add to the law of God. And the tendency for many people from that group is to confuse what God says with what my tradition says. Now, off the top, I want to say that I'm a tradition guy, and I will make my point clear later on. I like traditions. I think that traditions tells you a lot about who you are, your history, your context, your family, things like that. But I think that we have to be careful if we have that perspective, because there's a tendency to mix what God says and what I think God says. That will be the traditional view. On the other hand, you have the modern view. Or the modern worldview in which the culture is not taking, is not adding to the scripture, but the tendency is to subtract from the scripture or to redefine what the scripture already said. It's interesting because in the modern culture, we like some of the things that Christianity offers without the God of Christianity. Now, the question I have to ask you this morning, which we're going to wrestle with as we open up the scripture this morning, is what is it that the traditional view, that the tendency is to add to the scripture, and the modern view, which the tendency is to subtract from the scripture, what do they have in common? And this is what I would say, is that both are creating a distortion of the law, of the law of God. 
So these are my three points for today. We're going to talk about the distortion of the law, the purpose of the law, and the redemption of the law. The distortion of the law, the purpose of the law, the redemption of the law. Let's go with point number one, the distortion of the law. Uh, if you were here last week at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 11, and even if you weren't here, the, the, this, this, this verse is well known by almost anybody in this world. In which in chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I love that passage because it says that in order for us to have a relationship with Jesus, there is one thing called a yoke. That means that if you, have a, if you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you need to be attached somehow to Jesus. You are bound to Jesus somehow. And to, to a certain degree, that means that in any relationship, that anybody that wants to have a relationship with Jesus will have some sort of restrictions. Right? Because in any good relationship, there are restrictions. In any healthy relationships, there are restrictions. If you're married, there are restrictions in your marriage. If you have friends, there are restrictions in your friendship. If in any relationship whatsoever, parenting, all of that stuff, there's, uh, there are always some sort of restrictions. And those restrictions are there for a reason. It's to make the relationship work well. Now, we just started the college season, so I'm going to use an application here for those of you that are college students. So if you are in college, or if you were in college, and if you live on campus, if you wanted, if you wanted to have a good relationship with your roommate, you needed some sort of rules, right? I mean, imagine two young people living in one room for so many months. Do you need rules like, you know, put your headphones if you're listening to crazy music because I'm trying to study. That would be a rule, right? Or don't leave your mess on my side of the room. Leave it on your side of the room, right? Or just take a shower, right? That, that would be simple uh, rules. Interesting enough that those are the same rules that I think any marriage should have. Like, please take a shower, Right? It's because in order for a relationship to work, you always need some sort of yoke. You always need some sort of restrictions. You always need some sort of laws in any healthy relationship. And I want to make the argument that that's the same thing that we have with Jesus. In order for us to have a healthy relationship with God and Jesus, we do need restrictions. The problem, though, is when we have created a distortion of those restrictions or a distortion of those, of those laws. Now, what I want to show you here is that if you have these two views, the traditional view and the modern view, the Pharisees, which we find in the text, struggle with the first one. They had the tendency to add to what God had already said. And our struggle in modern day time is to subtract to what God had already said. But let me show you where I get that from. So in verse 1, we find Jesus walking around with his disciples. And the disciples got hungry. And he says, the text says that they picked up some heads of grain and ate them. Now look at what verse 2 says. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, what I want you to see is that even though in this text the word Sabbath appears so many different times, 
That is not the point of the text. The text is not for us to understand what Sabbath is and what Sabbath is not. The point of the text is how these people are struggling with something that God gave and the tendency for this group of people is to add to what the Lord had already said. See, in the text you see, verse 2, that the, disciples, the, the Pharisees didn't struggle with the concept of Sabbath, taking a day off, resting from work. What they had problems with is because the disciples were picking up food on the Sabbath day. So they go to Jesus and complain to Jesus. Why are you disciples doing this? What is interesting, though, is that they're messing around with the wrong person, you know? Actually, later on, Jesus calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. You know what that means? That he has the right to interpret the law and that he was the one that created the law. So here you got a group of people that are telling the creator of the law, hey, you are violating the law. It's like someone says to me, you know how you Colombians eat tortillas? And I'm like, you know that Colombians don't eat tortillas. And you're like, yes, you do. And I'm like, there's something wrong with you. If you are telling me something that I know, I'm not the one making the mistake. You are. That's exactly what happened to Jesus and the Pharisees here. They are trying to tell Jesus what the law is supposed to be. And this is where we see how these people had the tendency to add to the Scripture. And not, listen up. Not just to add to the scripture, but to go against the scripture because they're adding to the scripture. It's super interesting because when you look at the Pharisees, they grabbed the Ten Commandments and they included the Ten Commandments into 613 different laws. I mean, we don't even remember the Ten Commandments. How do you remember the 13 laws? And for the Sabbath alone, they added 39 rules. Some ridiculous rules as well. You know, they, they, they for example, one of the things they said, I um, actually bought the thing so I could read them. Um, and the Sabbath, according to them, you couldn't write very long sentences. It had to be like short sentences. So these people could actually have a Twitter, but not Instagram, right? <laughs> you know, 200-something characters only, Right? They say that on Sabbath, for example, um, if you were about to die, I could help you. But if you're not that sick, I have to wait until Monday. <laughs> it's rules like that that you, never, you find nowhere in the Scripture. And if you notice what they're doing by adding to the Scripture is that they think that there is a deficiency in what the Lord had already said. So this is how Jesus confronts this group of people which is what I would invite you to do if you ever confuse your traditions with the Word of God. Jesus basically says to them, where'd you get that from? It's just a question that I always ask. Is, where did you get that from? If, if we are a Bible church, where did you get that from? And he says it in a very nice way, confronting but nice way. He says, haven't you read 
He says it in two different occasions, haven't you read? So, for example, we find it in verse 3. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Jesus here wants them to remember something that happened with David in 1 Samuel chapters 19 to 21. In which David and his army, have, they're hungry, they have nothing to eat. And verse 4 says that he entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread. Which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Now the consecrated bread were 12 pieces of bread that represented 12 tribes of Israel. And they were placed in the tabernacle uh, on the Sabbath day, and they were supposed to give it as an offering. And the only person that had the right to eat that bread was the priest. But in 1 Samuel, we see that this priest understands that he's got permission from God to use that bread to feed hungry David and his companions. So what Jesus is doing here is brilliant. He's saying to these people that he's adding to the law, where'd you get that from? Don't you remember how someone, quote unquote, broke the law to feed the hungry? Now here's a question for you. Do you want to know why is it that the priest understood that he could break that law? I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> because Jesus is going to do it again. He uses the phrase again in verse 5. Or haven't you read in the law that the priest and, and, the, and Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? Now this one is a little bit harder to understand, but... In one of the laws that the Pharisees had created or added to the scripture, they said that if you pick up grain on the Sabbath day, you are working. Now, the Sabbath day, the Sabbath says that you're, supposed, you're not supposed to work. You're supposed to rest. What is interesting, though, is that Jesus is applying that law to the priest. Because you know who works on Sabbath day? The priest. So according to the Pharisees, I shouldn't, you know, kind of equivalent, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing because you're resting, but I'm working. I hope you know. Thank you very much. I mean, you're welcome. So, so this is what Jesus is doing to them. All right, all right. Yeah, I understand that the law says that you should rest, but did you know that the, the priests work on Sunday? Now, the question remains. Do you want to know what is it that the priest understood that gave him freedom to give bread to David and his companions? Do you want to know what Jesus understood that gave him freedom to say, no, priest, work on Sunday? Do you want to know what the... Do you really want to know why the law is there? Listen up, church. That at the end of the day, what matters most is not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. That what matters most is what God intends with the law. That the law of God is not supposed to be this burden, but that it's a gift. That, that when God gives us his laws, it's so we can love him better and love other people better. See, that's the word misunderstanding of what the law of God is. You know where I get that from? 
You remember when this man approached Jesus in Matthew chapter 22, and he says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Talking about the Old Testament law. And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the reason why the priest felt that and understood that the Lord gave him permission, that God gave him permission to give David and his companions the, compa- the consecrated bread. This is the reason why a priest should not feel guilty about working on Sunday. This is the reason when you understand really what is the primary motive behind the law is because God wants us to love him better and love others better. This was not a violation of the law. The problem of the Pharisees is that they added to the law. And they confused what they thought was right with what the Bible says is right. This is what Jesus says to the people that have this tendency. You don't get to add what I say. You can have your preferences and you can have your traditions, but make sure that you don't confuse them with my law. That's, listen, that is one of the big problems when you elevate your traditions and your preferences to a different place. I actually think that one of the major problems in in, in modern-day culture is that they have rejected all traditions. That's an issue as well. But what Jesus is addressing here with this man is that even though traditions are valuable and important, and he tells you something about our history, our values, our cultures, and who we are, even though traditions are really good, we have to be super careful that we don't confuse those with the Word of God. Because unintentionally, you are saying that the law of God is deficient or that there is something wrong with it. Now, because I've been going after the modern group, uh, traditional group, let me go after the modern group for a second. So if the traditional tendency is to add, the modern is to subtract. And Jesus says to those of us who have that tendency, you don't get to redefine what the law of God says. Because at the end of the day, whatever the word of God says, that's what it is. Because at the end of the day, you must fulfill the law because this is how you love me better and love others better. That's where I think that we have to really pay attention. For example, in my case, I don't don't get to love my wife and my family the way I want to. I want to love you my way. You know what my wife would say to that? I don't care about your way. You love me the way God says you're supposed to love me. I don't get to love my friends my way. I don't get to love the church my way. I don't get to redefine what love is and is not. The Bible tells me what love is and how is it that I live it. Can you see how these two groups created this distortion of the law? So this leads me then to the second point. So what is the purpose? And I think I already hinted a little bit of that. But Jesus is going to make it extremely clear here. So the Pharisees get upset with Jesus because the disciples are eating, collecting grain. Right? And look at what he says in verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, 
you would not have condemned the innocent. And Jesus is about to show them what the law does, uh, in a sense, law in action. And he uses the word mercy in order to understand what is the purpose of the law. See, the law has to do with the word mercy. It has to do with compassion. It has to do with being kind towards somebody else. So the law, from this perspective, it is not a burden. It doesn't suck the joy out of your life. It's not supposed to be something that feels heavy. It's something that is good. And to show it, Jesus now moves from this conversation with the Pharisees, um, and he goes to the synagogue knowing that these people are following him, and he encounters a person with a physical disability. Now, before we do that, I want to show you that this person was not looking for Jesus. This is Jesus looking for that person. And in verse 10, we see this. A man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring ch uh, charges against Jesus. They asked him, the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Don't you see how Jesus was doing everything on purpose? He moves to this person. He knows that they're following. And then they ask the question, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? To what Jesus responds in verse 11. If any of you has a sheep and falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Which is interesting because in a way, Jesus is about to tell them, you care more about your animals than people. Like we do in the 21st century. Verse 12, how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good and the Sabbath. Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and he was completely restored, just as sound as the other. And this is what I want you to see. The law of God is always good. You don't need to add nor subtract because the law of God is always good. I find it interesting that he uses the word good when he talks about the Sabbath. And he used the word restore when he talked about the healing. Did you know the word good in the original can also be translated as beautiful or something that brings happiness? Did you know that? The word good is not just because it's beneficial for you. The word good in the Bible most of the time means that it is something beautiful and it brings happiness. And the word restore in the text means to bring back, to reestablish, to fix. So if you want to know what the purpose of the law of God is, listen to this. Anything the Lord asks of you or asks of us, at the end of the day, it is good, beautiful, and produces joy. It is never a burden. It is always a gift because it brings us back to him or it brings us back to the way life is supposed to be, even if you can see it, even if you can feel it. The law of God is always good, even if you can see it and even if you can feel it. See, I made this argument before, but I think that if you're honest with yourself, the same I am trying to be honest with myself, 
Sometimes I struggle with what God wants from me because I also believed the lie that Adam and Eve believed. All right, this is family, right? Well, that's like three of you guys. Is this family? How many of you guys ever struggle with something that the Lord is asking you to do? Okay, is there anyone that who never struggles with that so we could worship you right now? <laughs> you know, following the Lord is easy when he asks you to do the things that you want to do. Following the Lord is hard when he's asking you to do something that you really don't want to do. Isn't that what the devil did with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? That, that was the whole strategy, you know? That, that was the whole strategy. He went to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say? I'm paraphrasing, of course, but he's saying to them, I think that the Lord doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he wants to keep you from something good. I think that God does not want you to eat this fruit because he's keeping you from joy. And my argument is that from that point on, every single one of us, deep down inside, still struggle, trusting that what the Lord requires of us is always good. Even if you can see it, even if you can feel it. Anything the Lord is asking of you, at the end of the day, is good and beautiful and produces joy. It is never it's supposed to not be a burden. It is always a gift because it brings you back to him. And it brings you back to the way life is supposed to be. So let's apply that to the concept of Sabbath. Because it's in the text. Once again, this text is not about us learning how to take the Sabbath. But we're going to use it as an example to apply it to these two different worldviews. See, in, in a general way, the Bible, when the Bible talks about the Sabbath, uh, taking a day off from everything that you do in your daily life, it is good because it is an opportunity for us to enjoy God, right? It is an opportunity for our body and our heart and soul to rest. It is good because uh, it's an opportunity for us to take at least one day in which we enjoy life, you know, and we have fun, right? And we serve others and we love others. That's what Sabbath is supposed to be. In my, from my, in my understanding from whatever the scripture says about this concept. But I'm going to apply that how some people in the traditional view, all traditional view of the law of God will see this. So people will take this concept from the Bible, and because they read it through the lenses of the letter of the law, they see it not as something that you necessarily need to enjoy, but as something that you must do. So consciously or unconsciously, yes, you take a day off. So let's say that that's you this morning. And yes, you come to church. And yes, you serve. But you got to ask the question, why is it that you do that? Because if the answer is not out of joy or gratitude or peace or all those things, the fruit of the Spirit, if you will, maybe, just maybe, the reason why you are so strict about the day off and Sabbath is because you think deep down inside that if you do this, you can earn the love of God or not lose the love of God. 
That's what people will call a legalistic approach to the law of God. You might be doing everything right externally, but internally the motivation is completely wrong. Also, people from this, this view would do the things that they have to do. They come to church, they serve, they read the Bible, they do everything that religious people would do. But they do it from a motive in which says, if I do this, then God owes me something. The motivation there is what I will call the moralistic view of the law of God. So the tendency for the people that add something to the law of God is because they, they think that they can earn God or not lose God or put God in debt, which is ridiculous. But if you are part of the other group, the modern view of the Sabbath, you see Sabbath as something that you could take whenever you want or don't take if you want. Which then there is subtracting from the law. So let me get a little bit more personal here. I wonder if this is part of the reason why many Christians today think that it's completely acceptable to join the rest of the believers on the Sabbath maybe once or twice a month. I wonder if that's part of the reason. I wonder if this is part of the reason why a lot of people prefer to watch a sermon online than to gather the rest of the believers. I wonder, just wonder, if this is part of the reason why our culture continues to put things that replace the Sabbath. Can you see how these two views are dangerous? But when we truly understand the purpose of the law that is good, You do it, but with the right motives. And you do it with the right heart. And you do it because it's a gift. Really, what the Lord asks you to do is a gift. Even if you can't see it. Even if you don't understand it. Even if you can't feel it. Here's one more thing. You can never forget that the law of God is an expression, manifestation, explanation of the character of God. So why do we struggle with this? Maybe, just maybe, we have forgotten who is the person behind the law. See, whenever someone, I have an interactions with someone and someone is asking me to do something, if I have a relationship with that person, I'll do it. Like I remember when I started my relationship with Heidi, my wife, you know, she didn't give me, okay, Hannibal, this is the list of rules for you. She, she never said that, but she kind of did. <laughs> and she brought to me some stuff that she wanted me to work on, even though I never asked for it. You know, it's Okay. And I have to say that because I love this woman, and I know that this woman loves me, following that is not a burden. It's a gift. How about if I tell you that we have something better than that, and why is it that we submit to the law of God? Point number three, the redemption of the law. 
See, I told you before that we always struggle with this thing, this weird suspicion that the Lord is against us. And this weird thing in our hearts in which we think that whenever the Lord asks you to do something is because he wants misery for you. And one of the ways we fight against that in our hearts is when we see, once again, the person behind the law. And for us in the New Testament is the person of Jesus. The Bible tells us that if you want to know the Father, you've got to know the Son. That if you want to understand the Father, you have to understand the Son. And this is why at the end of this section, there is this piece of poetry that the prophet Isaiah proclaimed before. In verse 18, he says, Here is my servant who I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. This is the Father talking about the Son. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Verse 20, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through, uh, through to victory. And there's two things that I want you to see there. So you understand who the person behind the law is. It talks about this bruised reed, which is a description of who you are and who I am. Broken people. Hurt people, weak people. But the text says that Jesus doesn't come to break us. Did you see that? He comes to heal us, to redeem us, to help us, to save us. Why is that important? Because whenever you hear what the Lord wants from you, it's never to break you. It's always for his good. His glory and your good. It's always for his glory and your joy. He loves you in such a way that he does not want to break you unless it's for your own good. He does not hurt the broken people. And the second thing that I want you to see there, if you notice, the word, the word justice appears in two different occasions there. And he tells you that part of the reason why Jesus came was to restore and fix our relationship with God. It's to make things right by going to the cross, by taking the punishment we deserve, by resurrecting to give us what we don't deserve. To deal with the condemnation of sin and also to deal with the power of sin. Now, this is the question you got to ask. Whenever the Lord asks you for something and you are doubting if it's, if it's for you, you have to remember the cross. Isn't that the ultimate evidence that the Lord will never do anything for you that is not the best thing for you? You know how I know when, you know how my wife knows that I love her? Listen up, I'm going to save you. This is free counseling, people. <laughs> she knows that I love her not so much for the amount of times I say I love her. But because of how much I'm willing to sacrifice for her. Do you ever wonder if the Lord is for you? Look at what he was willing to sacrifice for you. Do you actually think that what he wants from you is not the best thing for you? Even if you can see it. Even if you don't understand it. And even if it hurts. The law of good, the law of God is always good. It's always a gift. That's why we live the way we're supposed to live. Amen? Let's pray. My beautiful Savior, we are grateful 
that you are not in the business of simply giving us things to make our lives feel impossible. Lord, we are grateful that you are a good God, that you are uh, always good, that everything that you bring, that everything that you allowed, that everything that you permit, that everything that you sent, that everything that you request, it always comes from the heart of a good God. Lord, at the same time, we understand that we're still broken people. And that sometimes we question your goodness. So my prayer for us today, Lord, is that you, you free us from ourselves. That by the power of the Spirit, we may be able to see that you are good. And that everything that you want from us is always good. Please give us that vision and give us that understanding. And we pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. And we all say. Let's respond to God's word. Let's stand and sing and praise him for his beautiful sacrifice and his goodness to us.
How about if we give the Lord a round of applause? Uh, let me do this quick announcement before the benediction. As many of you read this week or the email, church email, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, you probably already heard or read that Pastor Mark Irving has, is transitioning off WBC, as, or transition already off as of September 15th, for those of you that know Mark. Mark has served so faithfully for 11 years here at WBC, and we praise God for how the Lord used him and for who he has been all these years. He started uh, and led several ministries and teams like Reengage and Faith and Work. Um, today, we have the opportunity to honor him and bless Mark and his wife, Sharon. Uh, and they're going to be somewhere in the atrium. So uh, please take the opportunity to approach them and thank them and pray for them. Um, we, I'm actually asking you to pray for him as he's transitioning into this next season in life, in his wisdom and guidance and all those things. And please pray for us as well as we are trying to navigate all these transitions. Some of the ministries that he was holding, they will continue. Some of them, we're still trying to uh, uh, figure out how we're going to do some of that stuff. So we ask the, uh, that the Lord give us wisdom. So please pray for us. With that, then, uh, let's receive the, bless the, receive the blessing that the Lord Jesus Christ guarantees for us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you peace. And the church says, Amen. we thank you for being here. We love you. Church, you are sent.